Yadi's girlfriend, Lydia, whispered as the president finally reached the front row. Her voice, her body, everything was shaking as she stood from her seat and embraced Wallace. Returning her hug, but staying silent, the president slowly made his way to the far end of the front row, pretending he didn't see their 12th grade history teacher in the crowd. But the president's real pain didn't come from spotting old friends. It came from the certain knowledge that he was responsible for all this. True, the president didn't pull the trigger. But it was the president who sent Palmiotti after the archivist, Beecher. It was Beecher who had learned what the president and Palmiotti had done on the worst night of their lives, back in college, 26 years ago. It was Beecher who found out that they had buried a baseball bat and car keys into the face of a man from their hometown, and that Palmiotti and the future president, along with Wallace's sister, had shattered the man's eye socket, punctured his face, and driven bits of his skull into his brain, causing irreversible brain damage. Worst of all, it was Beecher and the group he worked with who would never let it go. Never stop searching. Not until they could actually prove what happened that night years ago. Beecher and his so-called culper ring. They were the ones who could do the real damage. The ones who knew Wallace and Palmiotti's secret. Yet that wasn't the only secret the president was keeping. Taking his seat at the end of the far end of the aisle, the President of the United States eyed his best friend's coffin. Almost on cue, his phone vibrated in his pocket. Looking down, President Wallace pulled it out just enough to read the newest text on screen. How's my funeral going? Dr. Stuart Palmiotti asked. Part One The First Assassination What will Miss Harris think of my hanging on to you so? Mary Lincoln asked, holding her husband's hand. She won't think anything about it, Abraham Lincoln replied. They were the last words Lincoln spoke before John Wilkes Booth put a bullet in his brain. Chapter 1 Today, Washington, D.C. The knight knew his history and his destiny. In fact, no one studied those more carefully than the knight. Rolling a butterscotch candy around his tongue, he pulled the trigger at exactly 10.11 p.m. The gun, an antique pistol, let out a puff of blue-gray smoke, sending a spray of meat and blood across the wooden pews of St. John's Church, the historic building that sat directly across the street from the White House. You shot me, the rector cried, clutching the top of his shoulder, his shattered collarbone, as he reeled backward, then turned to stumble down the main aisle. The blood wouldn't stop, but the knight's gun hadn't delivered a kill shot. At the last minute, the rector, who'd been in charge of St. John's for nearly a decade, had moved. The knight just stood there, waiting for him to fall. The stark white plaster mask he wore ensured that his victim couldn't get a good look at his face. But the rector 
still had his strength. Sliding his gun back in his pocket, the knight moved calmly, almost serenely, down the aisle, toward the ornate altar. Help! Someone! Please! Someone help me! The rector, a sixty-year-old man with rosy cheeks, gasped as he ran, looking back at the frozen white mask, like a death mask, that followed him. There was a reason the knight had picked a church, especially this church, dubbed the Church of the Presidents, because every president since James Madison had worshipped here. It was the same with the homemade tattoo on the web of skin between his own thumb and pointer finger. The knight had finished the tattoo last night, using white ink since it was invisible to the naked eye. It took five needles, which he bundled together and dipped in ink, and four hours in total, puncturing his skin over and over.